for those of you uh, who may be newer to our service, we've been walking through a book study throughout uh, the fall months, starting way back in September, a book on prayer called um, Living Like Monks, Praying Like Fools. And there are study guides available every week. I think at both entrances this morning, um, you, you saw or may have been handed the last of those study guides. Uh, if you have been reading through the book, today we're, we're sort of drawing on material from chapter 7, which we actually sort of skipped over earlier in November, so that we, um, we could use uh, this invitation to pray as participation in what God is doing. That could sort of frame our journey through Advent together. If you brought your own Bible, or if you want to use the, the Bible in front of you in the pew, we're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel in the first chapter, verse 26 through 38 today. So you can, you can find your way there. We'll read those, those verses in a few minutes. Many of you know that uh, for, for several years before I went to seminary, before I um, decided to start working as a pastor, that I was a teacher, a classroom teacher, and specifically uh, an English teacher, an ESL teacher. Taught uh, for, for quite a few years in China, and all of my students were learning how not just to, to study or, or write the English language, but to speak it and to use it um, in, in conversation. I taught a wide range of uh, classes and ages. I taught second graders one year. I taught sixth graders. I taught middle school and high school students. I even taught for two years in a PhD program um, where, where PhD candidates were learning conversational English. The one thing, though, that I would say was constant kind of across every one of those classrooms is that in order to grow in, in language learning, you have to be willing to participate. Actually met students, some of my PhD students would tell me, I've, I've studied English for 20 years. I've read vocabulary textbooks, I've learned all the rules of English grammar, but, but this, this class is the first time I've been asked to use it, to speak it, to participate with my, my language learning. Right, and, and unless you can hear people speaking to you, and unless you can sort of formulate your responses in real time. In many ways, language learning is just sort of an exercise that stays inside your head. It's, it's not very useful to us, unless we, we have that, that active component. And, and for that reason, when I was a teacher, I always made participation at least half of, of the, the sort of criteria for evaluation each semester. We had all different ways of, of inviting activity and participation in the classroom. But, but choosing to participate in something you're still learning requires some courage, right? You have to step out and try something you, you may not be entirely comfortable with. It opens us up to the possibility of making mistakes here and there. But again, I think participation is fundamental to how we grow, how we learn, how we discover new things. In chapter 7 of our, our book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, the author suggests that participation is also a critical component for growth in our prayer life, in our relationship with God. He argues that, that our prayers are meant to be put into action, right? They're not just theoretical exercises. They're not just things that exist in our own heads. 
And in the chapter, he, he shares a quote from Eugene Peterson about this kind of participatory prayer. Peterson says, prayer is not just about getting God to do something I think needs to be done. Though there's a component of prayer, right, where we tell God about our needs, where we invite him to, to give us our daily bread, to help intercede in the, the events of our world. But Peterson said, we're, we're not in prayer so much trying to tell God what we think needs to be done, but rather to become aware of what God is doing so that we can respond to it, participate in it, and take delight even in it. Right? Prayer then is, is a place where we learn to join with God in what he's already up to. Right? We, we, we connect we offer ourselves to that work. Today marks the, the beginning of our, our celebration of Advent uh, as the, the church universal, the church worldwide. And actually throughout the history of the church, today is actually viewed as the first day in the church calendar. So this is sort of like our New Year's Day. It's a, it's a time to start afresh. And so from now, uh, throughout this next four weeks until we arrive at Christmas Day, we're giving our attention to this idea that God draws near. That's what the word Advent means. That God does things in reality, in our world. Right? It's, it's not just you know, a, a theoretical exercise. And so during Advent, we, sort of, we, we pay attention to God's drawing near in two directions. We look back and we, we remember and we rehearse what God has done. Right? God did something in Bethlehem. God appeared to a young woman in Nazareth. God sent Jesus, the Messiah, to be born in human flesh. But at Advent, we also look forward and, and we believe that God continues to do something. God continues to draw near. And that, that in a fashion that's similar to the way God came to Mary... God is also sending to us Jesus as the living word of God to be born in us, to grow in us, to transform us. Advent then invites us to open our souls to the word of God so that we can participate with it, that we can take delight in it. And I think probably then the best mentor to help teach us this kind of praying, this participatory prayer, is, is Mary and her story, right? Mary, in choosing to participate with what God was doing, desired to do in her time, right? She became the mother of Jesus. As we listen to her story this morning, or at least the first part of that story this morning, I want, I want to ask all of us to consider what word might the Lord be sending to you personally? Right, what may, may God be preparing or orchestrating or arranging in this present moment right, to join ourselves to, to carry within us a word that might stretch us and, and be challenging and make us uncomfortable, but, but also be a blessing to us? What word might God be sending to us that would grow within us and that he desires for us to, to give birth to? in the year ahead as we participate with him. So let me pray for us as we, 
we read Luke's gospel this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word, um, the words that are recorded in scripture are not, um, are not dead words, but they are words which have life and which are, are intended to bring new life to us in this present moment. Lord, may the words that I speak as I preach, may the meditations of our hearts as we receive and listen to them, may they all be pleasing in your sight. For you are a rock, you are our redeemer. It's in your name we pray, amen. This morning we're, we're jumping into a story that's already underway. Right? I'm, I'm picking up with Luke's gospel in the 26th verse of chapter 1, which means there's already some stuff that's taken place in Luke's account. Particularly, Luke has just told us about the way God has been working and active in the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth is, is Mary's relative, a cousin of some kind. And we're, we're told that uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to, to Zechariah to tell Elizabeth that she would conceive and be with child, even though she had long been barren, unable to conceive. And so it's a, as God is already at work, already unfolding these plans with Elizabeth and Zechariah, that we're now told he sends an, the, the angel Gabriel to visit Mary. Right? There's this sense in Luke's gospel that he wants us to know God is active, God is at work, God is doing things in our world, and he desires human beings to join him in those purposes. Luke 1.26 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Yet Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. As we, as we look at Mary's story these next four weeks, I think that the focus is on how do we respond to what God is doing. And there are actually, for, for most of us, there are sort of a normal range of human responses to to new things happening, to, to things that are brought to our awareness. How, how do we respond when we sense that something new is happening? How, how, do we, how do we interact with that news? Sometimes God desires to do something we have long waited for, we've been praying for, we've been hoping for, we've been expecting. And that's sort of what we see in Elizabeth's story. Right? She's desired a child for years, and it's, it's not happened until now. And then God's word comes to Zechariah and says, I'm, I'm going to give you a child. You're going to conceive and you'll, you'll bear a son named John. In other cases, though, God's word, God's intention, God's activity in our lives comes out of nowhere. It's unexpected. And this is more what, what seems to be happening with Mary in this passage. Verse 26 says, it was God's idea, it's God's initiative, not Mary's, for this angel 
to show up at her door with, with heavenly news. Right? It's, it's God's idea to send to Mary these greetings that begin by, by pronouncing the favor of God upon her, the witness of God upon her. And it's, it's a total surprise. Right? It makes me think of those uh, commercials when I was a kid growing up with the, the people, the film crew that would show up with the publisher's clearinghouse check right, for a million dollars. And, and the whole ad was sort of predicated on the surprise, the shock of, of this person that just learned they'd, they'd won a million dollars. Right? Mary doesn't see this coming. But the, the angel says to her in that moment of, of surprise and appearance, he says, Mary, you are highly favored. Right? The, the blessing, the goodness, the power of God is with you. The, the church father Origen in the second century, one of the first commentators on scripture, says that if we look throughout the whole of Scripture, you can't find a greeting as exalted as this one. Nowhere else is, is a human being spoken to in precisely this way. Right? The favor of God is upon you, Mary. And she's just a, a pretty ordinary teenager in a, in a pretty unremarkable place like Nazareth. The first thing God wants Mary to know in this work that he's beginning in her life. Before he, he utters anything about a plan or a purpose, he wants to begin by letting Mary know she is enveloped in the immensity of his love, his affection, his favor, his grace. Right? The first words out of Gabriel's mouth are, I am, I am for you, Mary. God is for you. Gabriel's words, I think, are meant to reassure and to comfort Mary in this moment of surprise. But as verse 29 makes clear, Mary's first response isn't comfort and joy, like the Christmas carol. But it's, it's holy fear. Right? The first thing that stirs within Mary is this sort of silent prayer of trepidation. It says, Mary was greatly troubled. And she wondered, what? kind of greeting this might be. Right, if, I, if I think about the, the kind of physicality of, of what was actually happening in Mary, right, there's probably adrenaline flowing through her body. There's cortisol flowing to her brain. Right? She is, is sort of in this stress response. Right? What is this? What is this all about? If prayer is indeed this space where we become aware of what God is doing, then sometimes what God is doing is disorienting. Right? It's surprising. We don't know how to process it in that first moment. Makes me, me think back to one of my best friends in college. Uh, his senior year on spring break decided to propose to his girlfriend that year. And her first response, they, they went to this you know, special place in her hometown. He had the whole thing planned out. But she had no idea it was coming. And her first response was, whoa. I, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> it wasn't a no, but it was a whoa, you know. And she, she said, give me, give me a minute to think about it. And they, they spent some time together. They went for a walk. And as the day went on, her, her whoa eventually became a confident yes. She was excited. But, but surprises, right, can overwhelm us. It, it takes time for, for them to settle in, for us to 
to know how to respond. It's possible that that in our lives, God is doing something we longed for, we expected, we hoped for. But it's also possible that God might be sending something into your life. He might have a purpose for you in this present moment. That's surprising. That feels disorienting. Maybe it's not something you desired or wanted. And if there are are those kinds of things unfolding in your life that you don't understand, that are troubling, like Mary is troubled here, then then know you're not alone. That's a normative part of of being in relationship with God. Mary has walked that road before us. But in verse 30, the angel begins to, to speak both to Mary's fear and trepidation, but also to begin to reveal what specifically God has planned for her. Jump ahead here. Verse 30 says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. As I read through this passage, I feel like there's this sort of back and forth between Gabriel and Mary. It's like a a call and response between God's divine initiative in our world and our human response. Mary, you know, initially she's, she's overwhelmed, she's disoriented. She's fearful. But as we read a little further, that that shock subsides somewhat as the angel continues to reiterate the favor of God toward her. Mary, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. God's grace, God's gift, God's goodness is what I've come to tell you about. This This is a good surprise. Verse 31 goes on to explain, though, that that Mary's favor, the favor of God toward Mary, comes through a calling on her life, a purpose for her life, a vocation, or in this case, a conception. Right? Mary, you are highly favored, and because you are highly favored, you will conceive and give birth to a son, a son you are to call Jesus. And as the angel begins to explain this favor of God on her life, this conception that will take place in her, right there, there are kind of immediate implications for her own situation. Right? She is going to become with child. She's going to give birth to a child. She's going to be asked to nurse that child and to raise that child and to walk with that child into adolescence and through into adulthood. And so there's, there's implications for Mary herself, but we're also told in these verses that, that the vocation, the calling Mary is given into motherhood also has implications for the whole world. Right? The angel says, Mary has been chosen to carry God's flesh and blood Messiah. 
to give birth to a king whose kingdom will be without end. And so the, the angel has spoken, now it's Mary's turn to respond. And in verse 34, the first actual words that she utters in Scripture, we see maybe her, her prayer of trepidation, her prayer of fear, is now gradually becoming a prayer for imagination. Gabriel, how will this be? Right? Help my mind understand what the Spirit is going to conceive in my womb. Right? Mary is, is just as perplexed at the idea of virginal motherhood as you or I. Right? It doesn't happen every day. Right? How, how, is this, how is this going to be? But notice that her question, it's actually, there's a very similar question when Zechariah meets Gabriel. He basically says sort of, you know, can this be? He, he sort of questions whether it's possible. But Mary's question is not whether it's possible. It's not can this be? It's not should this be? She asks, how will this be? Right? It's like she's praying for the ability to, to imagine the road ahead. Help me out here, God. And I think it, it might seem subtle to us, but I think that shift from being afraid of what God is about to do toward imagining our future with God, it's actually a pretty big shift. It's a pretty important shift. Right? As, as we begin to, to pray with imagination or, or ask God to help our imaginations, right? we're inviting God to be God. God to do things that only God can do. But it also allows our hearts to be, be stretched and to be led into those purposes. Right, I think God uses our prayers for holy imagination to help get us unstuck. Right, God, how will this be? Show me. Help me take the first step and then the next step and the step after that. Made me think of on, on a human level or a human dimension um, a conversation that's been happening for five years between Katie and I about renovating our house. We've, we've been talking about renovating our kitchen and our dining room space. And, you know, I think for, for years I was always stuck on, I don't think this is possible, right? We don't have the money for it or we don't have the space for it or I can't picture how we're going to do all of these things in one project. And so for a long time that's sort of where the conversation ended. And it wasn't in, until sort of I, I could listen to Katie who has more of an imagination, right? What if we did this? What if it could be like this? Right? What if we talked to somebody? What if we got the process moving? Right? Until we were both on that page, right? imagining that we, we could take those next steps and, you know, and, and come up with a plan and talk to a contractor. And, and now we're a couple months away from breaking ground on that project. Right? Sometimes we, we need God assisting our imaginations. Maybe there's something in your life that you need God's help in understanding or imagining what he wants to do. Maybe it's something that's already underway. Maybe it's, it's a career change. Maybe there's a change in your health or the health of somebody you love that's, that's requiring you to imagine a different kind of future. Maybe God's opened up a new relationship in your life. 
right? We can pray, God, how will this be? Help me understand. And in Mary's case, the answer to her question comes in verse 35. It says, Gabriel, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In verse 35, Gabriel gives us the how in Mary's question about how this will be. Right? That, that question about, about how leads us into the domain of the Holy Spirit. What God and only God is able to do. And the how, it turns out, isn't actually something Mary is tasked with. The how depends entirely on God's promise, on God's word, on God's initiative. The good news for Mary in verse 37 is that no word from God will ever fail. When God brings a word to us, he supports it with his Spirit's power. When God sends a word to us, he supports it with the Spirit's potency. He supplies it with the Spirit's might. God's word, the angel says, cannot fail. And so we can rest in that. None of us is, is able to accomplish the kinds of things God desires for us and for our world apart from God's Spirit. But with God's Spirit, all things, everything is possible. And so in our lives of prayer, we, we have to sort of meditate on and keep coming back to the promise of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God. This is his word. He's committed to doing it. So as Mary takes all of this in, by the time we get to verse 38, it's, it's again Mary's turn to respond. She's She's moved from her first prayers of, of fear and trepidation. She's ventured into the territory of, of praying for holy imagination. And now she is finally ready to offer God her prayer of participation. Jump, um, jump ahead slide there. And she does that with these words. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Lord, let's, let's do this thing. Lord, I'm in. I'm with you. I'm taking that first step. In our book this week, in chapter 7, Tyler Staten says, I want what I see in Mary. I want to cooperate with God's redemptive work in our broken world. And I want to cooperate with God's work in me, in my own brokenness. As we then move together into this season of Advent, how can we be looking for and listening for God's word to us? How can we be, be listening for where God is preparing or redeeming or arranging something in our world? 
But maybe he's also waiting for our participation, for our response to join him. Right? We don't worship a God who forces his word upon us. God waits for our consent. God waits for us to join him, for us to pray, let your word be fulfilled in me, that it might be, be conceived and be nurtured and, and then grow and come to life in me. So what I, I want you to think about, we've been doing a prayer practice each week throughout this series. I'm, I'm giving you a prayer practice today, but it's not one just for this week. It's for the rest of this month, for the rest of Advent. I want you to think about what word, again, may God be sending to you? Where is he at work in your life? Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a passage of scripture he's putting on your, your heart or your mind. Maybe it's, it's a phrase. Maybe it's a situation where God is waiting for you to take a step of trust or obedience, and you sense that. You don't have to have the answer to that question today. Right? We've, got, we've got the rest of this Advent season to ponder that. But at the end of December, I'm going I'm to ask you to, to maybe share that word or, or, or write that word down. How is God speaking to you? As we ponder the, the coming of God's word to us, um, one of the gifts we have as God's people is coming to his table. It's the table where the word of God made flesh is offered to us.